Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, Lifehouse fam. It's Pastor John here. So glad that you're joining us here for Church Online. Man, first off, what an incredible weekend we've had serving our city with For Our Cities Week. Thank you to all of you who helped us uh, serve our city. One of the core values of our church is that we are for our cities, and we dedicate a weekend every year uh, to love and serve our city. So thank you for being a part of that. What an incredible weekend it was. Also, want to just pause and welcome all of you who are joining us for the very first time. Lifehouse fam, can we, can we just put some clapping hands in the chat section for all those who are possibly joining us for the very first time? If it is your first time, make sure you fill out uh, the first time guest form. We, we, we want to send you a free gift. This is a small way of saying thank you for joining us. And we just hope you feel the love and welcome uh, from the Lifehouse family. But also, too, if you are local, we would love for you to come and hang out with us in person. We have in-person services every Sunday, 9 and 1045 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater. We would love for you to come and experience Lifehouse in person. We have a great church, and we would love for you to come and experience it for yourself. But we are continuing our series today. And if you're excited to hear God's word, put I'm ready in the chat section. Uh, we are continuing our series, Jesus And, where we are looking at the life of Jesus. And that might seem crazy, but when it comes to the church, uh, the church can sometimes do a bad job of looking like Jesus, which is its ultimate call. And so we, we've just been looking at the life of Jesus. We might be in this series for the, rest of the, of, for the rest of the year. We might be in this series for the next year. I'm not sure. I'm following the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit. And I just feel it's so important for us to look at the life of Jesus. And so, you know, we've had many weeks in this series. You can go back and check out the podcast. But today is actually part two of something that I started last week called Jesus and Rhythms. Jesus and Rhythms. And uh, last week I talked about how it is so vital for us to, to put into place rhythms of life to help cultivate us to be a certain kind of person. Because what we realize about Jesus, Jesus did not do what Jesus did simply because he was Jesus. It's so easy for us, uh, whenever we read the Bible, we can look at what Jesus did and how he fed the 5,000 and how he healed the sick and how he taught with power and authority and, and how he trained the 12 and these amazing things he did. And we can say, well, he did that, of course, because he's Jesus. But we forget many times that Jesus did not do what Jesus did because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you and I, we have access to. But he cultivated his life. He trained himself. He, he cultivated a rhythm of life that helped him to be formed to be a certain kind of person. So Jesus had in place rhythms. He had in place disciplines because scripture tells us that, yes, Jesus was God, but also too, Jesus was fully human. And what we see is, is that what Paul actually brings up in the book of Philippians chapter two is that Jesus set aside his divinity. He didn't lose it. He just set it aside because he wanted to show you and he wanted to show me. He wanted to show us what was possible in a human body, that what is possible for us as followers of Jesus to accomplish because we're filled with the spirit and we can cultivate a rhythm of life with habits and practices that help us become a certain kind of person. And that's what I started last week. And I talked about 
how we can see uh, this one phrase in scripture, as was his custom, that basically Jesus had these rhythms and habits that, that, that he did regularly that the writers of the gospels point out. Number one, like you can see Luke 4, 16, that as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. So Jesus went to a weekly gathering. He practiced Sabbath of taking a 24-hour period of resting. Uh, Luke 5, 16 says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That the Jesus got away from the hustle and the bustle and he practiced silence and solitude and time to just be with his father and, and pray and to probably hear, re, be reminded of who he was and, and to set aside time to hear and receive words from his father. Mark 10, 1 says, as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus was engaged in scripture and Bible study. We can see that, 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 that you know, Jesus was a, a rabbi. So he would have memorized the whole Old Testament. So he, he knew God's words. He fed on God's words and they fed his soul. Those are just three statements we see there, as was his custom. Jesus had in place habits and rhythms. And last week I talked about how uh, 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 the goal of these habits and rhythms is to, number one, bring awareness to God's presence. I called it the ABCs of rhythms. And these were the outcomes that we hope to see as we practice habits and rhythms. Number one, we have an awareness of God. And as we have, as, as, as we practice habits and rhythms to cultivate uh, a certain kind of life and to become a certain kind of person, a byproduct is we're going to be more aware of God's presence, right? Secondly, is, is that we see his boundaries as protections instead of restrictions. And thirdly, we live a life of communing with God, not compartmentalizing our faith, but communing with God. And I would love if you didn't have an opportunity to check out last week's message, please go and check out the podcast because that will help make this week's message more relevant and more pertinent and have it make more sense because I would love to dive back into those, but I got a limited amount of time. And so make sure you go back and check those out um, because we're, we, we want to be a church of rhythms. We don't want to be a church that, that just says, do more, just, just do more activity, just do more stuff, just do more business or church business activity. And it's like what we realize is that just activity doesn't change you. Many of you, some of you have been in church for 20 years. And if you look at your life, you say, I've done the church stuff, but there's not a, a lot of change. It's because you can, it's not just about being active. It's not just about doing activity. It's about doing purposeful activity that purposely changes and forms you. Right, And that is my heart for our church is that we will be a church of corporate and individual rhythms that help us become a certain kind of person. Now, here's the thing. Rhythms mean change, right? When we're putting into place new rhythms and, and actually let me pause and let me define for you a rhythm because I'm saying that assuming you might know what that is, but you might not know. Rhythms, here's the thing, is a structured life that cultivates an awareness of God's presence, desire for God's best, his boundaries, and continuing communion with God as the norm. So whenever I mean rhythm, I'm talking about a structured life. A structured life, a life that is not just haphazard, a life that is just not whatever, whenever, however, but a rhythm that, a, that, that cultivates a structured life. Why? So you can have God at the center of it. God at the center of it. So this means change because in the United States, it is training and forming you to have a certain rhythm of life. And you, you know this. You work yourself to death. You numb yourself with pleasure. Um, you're always in a hurry. You're always distracted by your phone. And, and it's just like, it can be, so, it's like, you don't, you just go on autopilot and you're like, that's what the United States culture is trying to get you to do. Go on autopilot, spend your money, 
And, and, and that's why discipleship and following Jesus is a completely resisting way to how the culture is trying to train you and form you. So if we're going to have this way of Jesus be formed and shaped in us, it's going to require not just church activity, but it's going to require us to have in place a certain rhythm of life. But that means change. Like when you start to follow Jesus and you start to actually change, it's going to feel like warfare. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. But you have to know change. Like when you start to follow Jesus, it's about change. And change is hard. But change is what we do as Christians. We are changing to be like Jesus. But here's the thing. If you're trying to change, but you're not aware of the nature of how Christian change works, you're, I'm telling you, you're going to get flustered and you're going to quit trying. So I'm going to give you three thoughts about Christian change before we dive into these actual rhythms and what an actual rhythm of life could look like as a follower of Jesus. I want to give you three thoughts about change. Number one, and y'all going to get sick of hearing this, but I don't care. We, we're going to say it the Whole life of Lifehouse, right? Changing means training, not trying. Changing means training, not trying. We have to have, if we're going to have the bandwidth, if we're going to have the endurance to see change happen, my heart is that we would develop training, not trying. And why is this so important? Because to me, a trying spirit, a trying attitude comes from us trying to earn God's love, favor, and approval. And this comes from like self-will, self-empowerment. But training comes from already knowing you have God's love, have his favor, and have his approval, and it's spirit-empowered. See, there's a huge difference between training over trying, which if you've listened to any of our sermons, you know that. But I think even at the core of training versus trying is when you have a trying mindset, it's basically with God you're starting from a deficit. So you're like, what I do, the disciplines I do, the habits I do, it is to earn God's favor and his approval and his love. So since you're starting at a deficit, you're trying to earn. This is not the gospel, y'all. The gospel is you receive God's love through Jesus Christ. And as you receive his love by grace through faith, meaning your faith means you trust and believe in him. Grace means you could not earn it. It's what Jesus did, not what you've done. As you receive that, it gives you a new identity. Can you type new identity in the chat? A new identity. This is so vital because this means fundamentally in who you are, you have changed. You've gone from a sinner to a saint. You've gone from an enemy of God to a friend of God. You are, you've gone from a spiritual orphan to now a son or daughter of God. And so this makes your identity in Christ secure. It irritates me in myself, in, in so many followers of Jesus I see. They aren't secure in their identity because they attach the mess ups they do, the failures they do, and they define themselves by what they do instead of who God says they are. And if we are going to have a solid base for change, if we're going to have a solid foundation to actually see change in our life happen with the right heart, with the right actions, it's going to happen as we understand we have a secure identity in Christ. Because if we don't believe and know that we have a secure identity in Christ, anything we do, we will then start from a place of trying to earn the approval and favor and love of God. And that's trying. And that will get old. And that will get hard. But as we are secure in our identity and we know 
We, we did not receive this identity because what we've done. We've received it because of what Jesus did, and we received that. And we, we, we gain righteousness. We are in right standing with God. This gives us security then to start training. Because the training is not to earn. The training is to become. Because the training is all about you becoming who you already have become in Christ. Y'all, this is such good news. And my heart for our church is that we will be so secure in our identity in Christ that then as we put in place habits and practices and as we train to be like Jesus, it would become a joy because as we do these things, we are simply becoming who we already are in Christ. Can, can I just look you in the eye today? Can, can I just and pray you hear my heart like you, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus and your deepest desire is him, to love him, to follow him, to go after him, to be like him, your identity is secure. So many of you question, like, am I saved? Am I really following Jesus? And, and here's one of the major questions. See, see, like, really only God knows that. It's like, we can't judge people's hearts, but we can judge fruit, right? That's what Jesus said, judge a, judge, judge a tree by its fruit, right? But also, too, one of the ways you can even judge yourself is to ask this question, like, is the deepest desire, the deepest desire of your heart to become more like Jesus. And if you honestly say, I don't think, I don't think so, then can I ask you to repent of your sin today and turn and follow Jesus? Because it's so easy for like, if that is not the deepest desire of your heart, then I would have to say, has your identity been changed? Right? Has your, because if your identity is in Christ, the deepest desire of your soul is God, I want to become more like you. I want to become more like you. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. Even if you want to pray that like, Lord, save me. Lord, I want to become like you. Lord, let the deepest desire of my heart become you. He can do that right now. You, you can do that right now. But, but that, that, that is what it is, y'all. Like we, We're training. But in training, you're secure. Your identity is secure. So just let me look in at it and just say your, your identity in Christ is secure. If the deepest desire of your heart is to become like him. This has to be the foundation for any type of change, any type of, of rhythm of, of change is, is that it's not to earn. It's because we've received that we then want to change. The second thought is this. Number one, two, change is warfare. Y'all, y'all know this. You start to follow Jesus. You thought it was going to get easy. It became harder. You're like, why am I struggling? And fight it because you've made a decision to go in the completely opposite direction of your flesh and what the devil wants for your life. So there's going to be warfare. Change is warfare. Expect it to be hard. Expect it to be a battle. Even Jesus said, right, when his disciples, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he, you know, he had his disciples. He said, hey, stay awake with me and pray. And they fell asleep. Jesus said, yeah, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That defines us. Many times our spirits are very willing to change, very willing to become more like Jesus, but the flesh is weak. So that's why it's even more important that if the spirit is willing, if the desire to change is there, but the flesh is weak, what needs to be disciplined and what needs needs and 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 what needs to change is the outside rhythms and practices to help train our flesh you see even paul saying i beat my body so i can make it my slave 
Like he's, he's, he's saying that I have a desire to serve Jesus, but just the desire won't intrinsically change the outside. The desire has to be matched with discipline. Desire and discipline, right? So that's why Jesus, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So since the flesh is weak, it has to be disciplined. I love what the writer, uh, what Paul says when he's describing to the church, one of the churches he planted in the city of Galatia. He was describing this very battle. He was like, yo, I want to let y'all know. It's warfare. This is what, this is what he says. He says so, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So he's already setting up this kind of like thing, spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good your good. Intentions. Then in verse number 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And some of y'all know these results very clearly. <laughs> I know I did for many years. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, the, but, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-led life produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul was simply describing here what this fight looks like. And many of you, I feel this every day. You feel this every, every day. Right, this consistent battle you have the flesh and the spirit. And the goal is to let the spirit win more times than the flesh. But this will only happen as we train what is the desire of our spirit to make it then happen in the everyday actions of our life. It's one of the reasons why change is hard, but one of the reasons why habits and practices that form and shape us are important, which is what we're talking about today. The third reason, though, the th third thought about change, it's not just uh, training, trying. It's not just the change is warfare. The third thought about Christian change. Number one, you've got to know the why. If I have a passion of my life for the church, it's to help the church know why. Because we can do activity, but if we don't know why, then the power of the activity and the power of the change, we will never know. Why is just as important as the what. Why is just as important as the what. Why do we want to practice a Sabbath day of rest? Why do we want to tithe and be generous? Why do we want to get away in silence and solitude? Why do we want to practice gratitude? Why do we want to pray? And why do we want to get into scripture? I can give you the what's all day, but if you don't understand the why, then it will be legalism. It will be legalism. It will be like we talked about last week, religion, doing the right things for the wrong reasons, but my heart is that we would have relationship, which is doing the right things for the right reasons. But you've got to know the why, because if you don't know the why, then you will see it as a box to be checked instead of a pleasure, instead of a joy, instead of as a way to be in relationship with God and to keep him at the center. Y'all, you got to know the why. So my heart is today is to tell you the why. Okay. So I, I want to get into practical rhythms. Now listen, this is what I know. As, as followers of Jesus, we're trying to be like Jesus by practicing habits and rhythms. 
this is what I know. We don't live in a normal nine to five. Everyone works a nine to five. Everyone has the same days off. We live in the United States, right? Which some of you work night shift. Some, I mean, you know, we're, we're in all different seasons of life. So what I am not trying to do today is to give you a one size fits all rhythm, habit, you know, habits and patterns. What I'm trying to give you is I'm trying to give you ingredients that then you through the through the power of the Holy Spirit, through discernment, say, how can I take these ingredients and work them into my unique schedule, my unique life season, so I can be shaped and formed to be more like Jesus? So what I want to do is I want to give you some important rhythms and habits and practices that then you can take and work into your everyday normal over your normal everyday life. Now, and what my heart is, is that you would not hear these and you would not hear more I have to do. You would not hear great. More stuff I have to do, but you would not feel burden. You would feel joy. You would not feel like you need to do these. You would feel the invitation from God into a better, more peaceful, more joyful, more loving way of life. Because that's what disciplines are, church family. Disciplines are ways, are pathways for us to experience the life of God. Disciplines are not a way for us to earn favor. It's a way for, it's, it's literally doors. It's like opening a door and saying, God, I welcome you into my life through this habit and through this practice. So I pray that as I talk about these, you would not hear more to do, but you would not feel overwhelmed, but you would feel hopeful. You would feel joyful that there would be like, there are some blessings and pathways for me for the life of Jesus to actually make its way into my life. So I want to talk to you about five rhythms. The first one's this, silence and solitude. A rhythm of silence and solitude, just as Jesus practiced, he often got away to pray and be with his father. Silence and solitude in our culture sounds like a pipe dream. Let's just be honest, because silence and solitude, number one, I think many of us are scared of it, because what ultimately silence and solitude does is it creates space, is it makes us aware. I just want to ask you how much, it's probably amazing how much you are not aware of in your life, or not just how much you aren't aware of, but what you are avoiding dealing with. Because you won't get away into some silence and solitude. Change is hard if you aren't aware. Transformation to be like Jesus is very hard. Because one of the major aspects of change, before you change, you have to be aware of the change you need. And one of the spaces and places that we become aware, the, we like become aware of those, ha- the, the, those hurts, maybe those wounds, maybe, maybe those places of pain, there's places of exhaustion inside of us, is to simply have some silence and solitude. And do you know what that means? Getting away from this. Because if there's anything that will kill silence and solitude and distract you and take, your, and take your attention away from what's going on inside of you, it's this. Do you know what silence and solitude is a fight against? It's a fight against numbness and distraction. And I just think maybe we are missing God around us because we're so distracted. And silence and solitude has the power to create this awareness of God. 
It has the power to, to create awareness of what's going on inside of us. Like some of you are just looking at what you do and you're not really aware of why you do it. And what silence and solitude actually has the power to do is to help you realize I am doing that because I'm hurt here, because I'm broken here. It's because I have a deficit here. Silence and solitude creates space for God to fill. But I don't know about you. That can be, I mean, just think about how hard that is in our culture. So creating time of silence and solitude is a punch in the face to the culture that wants you to be always on, always distracted, always watching a TV show, always have music on, always just always on. And I just think we don't have a great awareness of God. It's because we don't cultivate awareness. And where we cultivate awareness is in some time of silence and solitude. So when we think about a, a rhythm, a countercultural rhythm, a habit that could form us, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? <laughs> like, like just some silence and solitude. Like, but that's probably how awkward it's going to feel when you try to do it. And what I would say is, is give it a shot. See if you can do five minutes. And it's just amazing that as you create that space, no background noise, no background TV noise, be attentive to what rises up inside of you. Silence and solitude. Okay, next. That, the, that one was awkward. Number two, Sabbath. Sabbath. And Sabbath is simply... A period of time where you rest. Jesus practiced the Sabbath. God himself rested. He worked for six days, rested one. One of the habits, one of the practices that God gave his people, Israel, when they were coming out of slavery from Egypt, he said, you're not going to be like where you came from in Egypt. They worked you seven days. As my people, you're going to work six days and rest one. Now, in some you know, forms of religion and Christian, like people, you know, they, they make the Sabbath day this, this kind of like religious ritual where if you don't do it, you're cursed. And I don't think that's what it is. I think it's God's invitation to us to rest and realize that the world will still go on even if we aren't working. <laughs> right? Like it is, and, and just think of what it does for our central nervous systems, to, to our minds and to our thoughts, to just rest and realize as I stop working, it is an act of faith. I'm taking my job, I'm taking what I'm responsible for, and I'm putting it in the hands of God, and I'm going to rest and bask in God's sovereignty and His ability to keep moving along what I'm responsible for as I am in faith resting. That's the power of Sabbath. Sabbath is an invitation to let God be God. For 24 hours, <laughs> right? But like I talked about last week, Sabbath is not just you vegging out. Sabbath is a day that you can think about and plan ahead. What, you know, you know there's this term, it's called pleasure stacking, where people, where what God actually is, 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 is like find pleasurable things to do with stuff that, that it's not just rest, but it restores your soul. And that's what I, what if we had a church that we, that we each had a day that we practiced pleasure stacking? Things that filled us time that, that we spent and we set aside and we said this is sacred time that we're going to use not to work, not to 
we're going to rest. Now, I know that sounds crazy. That is a fight against culture because our culture always wants you on. And, and this is, you're, you're going to have to be disciplined in this area. Like this is something you might have to start off with eight hours, maybe 16 hours, right? Like, like here's what I'm not, I'm not trying to give you more to do. I'm trying to say this is an invitation from God. So you can rest because some of y'all are so stressed. You're so anxious. You're so full of worry. And the reason you have that is because you think you are more in control than you are and you think you are God. And what Sabbath is an invitation for us to do is to put God back on the throne. It's a habit of practice for us. The Sabbath, it's a period of enjoyment. Jesus practiced Sabbath. And here's what it ultimately does. It reminds you your schedule wasn't God, but God is God. And when you die, God will still be God. And if you stop working, God will still be God. God can work even while you're not. So that's what Sabbath is an invitation for us to do. The third habit practice that has the power to shape and form us to be like Jesus, that it would be wise of us to have a rhythm of is generosity. And, gener and generosity is practically giving away money and resources to kingdom work for the or to the poor. And this is something that we can do weekly, monthly, according to where you are, what we see in the Old Testament is God called it tithing. We're giving a tenth of what God entrusts you with and putting it towards kingdom work, priestly work, while also there was a second tithe that was given for the festivals in Jerusalem so they can make sure, hey, as you do these festivals, you are remembering me. There was also a 3% um, uh, what they call almsgiving where they would give to the poor. There was a set-aside portion. So what God told his people is, is like, you just can't say you're generous. You actually have to be proactively generous because as you're proactively generous, it releases the grip of greed on your life. And I know all of us have a desire to be a generous human being. Why? Because God is the most generous human being. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's heart is to be a giver. And as we're, on, as we're on this journey to be like him, a habit and practice that can shape and form us to release the grip of greed and release the rivers of God's grace and God's generosity through us is having a habit and practice of being proactively generous. Well, what are you saying, John? Just give money to the church. That's a great start. That's a great way the kingdom work goes, goes in and through Lifehouse Church. But there are also things on your heart that are very close to your heart. There are organizations and charities that are doing amazing work to help, to help human flourishing in the city, outside the city, nation, nationally. There are organizations that are spreading the gospel around the world that are doing Bible trans, translation, that are doing amazing kingdom things. It's, it's like find those things that are on your heart and that, that are passionate on your heart. And then as, as a proactive way to cultivate generosity in your life, proactively give and set aside a percentage of what God is entrusting you with so you can be generous, y'all. Because if we don't listen to that invitation from God to be proactively generous, then we will say we're being wise and we're saving and we're doing all of these things when in reality it's done out of fear. And it's done out, and interesting, when you give, it is an opportunity for God to be faithful. I tell this story many times, but I have I've tithed since I got saved. And it has, and I, and, and I don't say this, really, no, it's like, I'm just telling you my testimony. Where it is, it is amazing that I see as I've tithed faithfully since 16 years old, 
until 40, 20, almost 25 years. At times, I think about how much money I've given, <laughs> how much money I've given away, not just to the church, but different organizations. And I think about, man, what if, if I invested in Netflix or I invested in Amazon? Hey, do you know what I'm so grateful for is that I can tell, I, I trust God, y'all. Like, I, I, at times, I will even give away money, and I'm like this, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. There was, matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, or excuse me, a couple months ago, I felt the Lord lead me to give somebody money. I gave it to him, and literally, I was like, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do, because I trust you. I, I've seen your faithfulness. God, I've seen you take the IRS, give me money that I didn't, you know, it's like, God, I've seen you do it. It's released the grip of greed. And, and it's crazy, like, like literally a week later, somebody handed me an envelope of church, said, hey, just want to let you know, love you. And it was five times the amount that I had given away. And I just laughed and I said, God, only you. And I don't tell you that to be like, God's going to be this cosmic stock, stock market, anything as you can, but as I have practiced, as people practice, it releases fear and it makes no God is going to be a provider. That's what the invitation is giving is an opportunity for God to be a provider. Now, now that doesn't throw away your responsibility to budget, your responsibility to be wise, your responsibility to manage what God has given you. But in that management, don't forget the proactive way the invitation to be a generous person, the, the invitation to be more like God is in you practicing intentional generosity. That's a discipline, a habit, a rhythm, a practice that has the power to form and shape you. Let's be generous people. All right, the fourth one. We, we talked about silence and solitude, Sabbath, generosity. The fourth one's fasting. Oh, fasting. Man. Fasting has the power to attune our senses to God's spirit. Because here's, here's, here's the thing, right? Fasting releases the appetites we have from being God of our life. What would change in your life if you had the power to say no to it? That is really what the heart behind fasting is. Fasting is cultivating the no muscle. So you can say no to what the flesh wants. And you can say yes to what God's best is. And that's a spirit empowered, a spirit led life. Jesus said, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast, he said, when you fast. And one of the habits and practices that I think will, will be one of the most formative is if we would weekly, maybe one day per week, corporately as a church. So all of these things that I am telling you, we are trying to figure out ways to have them as a way of life in our church where we are not just saying, hey, do them on your own. We are saying, as a church, how do we cultivate these practices in a way that we can practice them together? So we're praying about, we're going to have maybe a corporate day of fasting weekly, where we call our church to fast. We call our church to put aside food. We call our church to put aside their cell phones, their social media, for one day per week to focus on prayer. Why? Because if we don't set aside those things that we think are urgent. We don't set aside those things that, that, that are just consistently gnawing and coming at us. Then they will inevitably take over the appetites we have. But as we proactively say, we are going to put this down and with the appetites we have and we feel, when we feel them, we're going to put them and turn them and attune them to God. Then that makes us spiritually alert and spiritually aware to the work that God is doing in us 
and around us and takes away our spiritual numbness. That's what fasting does. When, when we fast, you know when you fast food, that hunger's there, baby. That hunger is there. But when you have that hunger, it reminds you, it can be a prompt to say, Lord, give me this hunger for you. Or as I've got this hunger for food, even as Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He had attuned his, he had attuned his appetites to God instead of the flesh. That's the power of fasting. It can break the power of the flesh and give power in the spirit. So you can say yes to God's best and no to God's worst. Fasting. The last habit and practice is prayer and scripture. Some of you are like, duh, right? But prayer and scripture has the power to remind us of who God is. This is God's invitation. It has the power to remind us of who God is, what his heart is for us, how we're called to love him and who we are in him. And that's what I pray you see prayer and scripture as. Prayer and scripture is not a way to earn the favor of God. Prayer and scripture is a way for you to open up a door to receive the love of the Father, to be reminded of who you are, to be, to be reminded of who God is, to, to be reminded of his heart for you and what you're called to be and do in him. This is the invitation that God gives. Why is this so important? If you're not hearing the truth, listen to me clearly. If you are not hearing the truth, you will be tempted to take your truth and make it the truth. I want to say that one more time. If you are not hearing the truth through prayer and through scripture, you will be tempted to make your truth the truth. Y'all, there's an objective truth that's outside of our subjective truth. And we live in a culture of subjective truth because I think it's true, it's true. As followers of Jesus, that's not us. As followers of Jesus, we have listened to and submitted to an objective truth and our subjective truth is called then to submit to the objective truth. The subjective, now it's not wrong to have sub subjective truth. It's not wrong to be in tune with what you feel and what you think and why you think what you think. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus, we have given up the right for our subjective truth to be the truth and have taken our subjective truth and submitted it to the objective truth, which is God in his word. And if we don't open up pathways and ways and doors for, for prayer and for scripture to shape and form us, then we will be tempted for our truth to be the truth. And we are in trouble. And what we see in Romans chapter 1 is Paul actually calls that God giving them over to a depraved mind. God will give us over. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What would it look like for you to have a daily rhythm, a daily habit, a daily practice of time with God in Scripture? Prayer is not just you talking to God. Prayer is you listening. You remember when Jesus was teaching about prayer? He literally, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Like it, he wasn't saying like, and even Jesus talked against praying showy prayers. Prayer is ultimately you sitting in the presence of God and you talking to your dad. <laughs> right? God, you, oh, sorry. It's, it's like, you know, God, it's like, God, you know what I need. You know, even what I need before I ask. It's about you coming and just being in his presence and sitting there and listening and you sharing your heart and pouring it out to him. Y'all prayer and scripture is literally a meeting with God. What if you put a 15 minute, 30 minute meeting with God on your calendar every day? And if someone says, Hey, do you want to, Hey, I've got this. Say, no, I've got a meeting that day. I'm sorry. 
and we're going to give you some resources, ones that the, that we think are really, really good, that kind of lead you and, and guide you daily, uh, that have just been really inspirational personally to help you have, have and cultivate this daily rhythm with God so you can meet with him on the daily. Like, what would it look like? I mean, just think, y'all, every morning, every day we have the opportunity to meet with the God of heaven and earth. And I don't know about you, but that meeting, when I get that meeting every day, it makes every other meeting better. It makes every, because I have this awareness of God. I have this like, God, I'm in your presence. I'm just not in your presence when I'm in this quiet time. I'm in your presence throughout my day. That's what prayer in the word has the power to do, to cultivate a communion with God. Not a compartmentalized faith, but a communion with him. And, and, and y'all, what I pray you're hearing as I talk about these invitations, what I pray you're hearing as I talk about these, these habits and rhythms and practices, like I said, is that you hear God inviting you into more of his life through these habits and practices. So we've talked about five, silence and solitude, Sabbath, generosity, fasting, prayer, and scripture. Now, listen, I would love to dive into all these. I would love to give you everything that I know about these. But I can't. But what I hope you, you have heard today is a rhythm is possible. A rhythm is possible. A rhythm can be a way for you to cultivate this kind of life, to be with God. Why? So you can be aware of his boundaries. Or excuse me, you can be aware of his presence. You have a desire for his boundaries, for what are best. And you have a communion, a, 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 a communion life with God. So we're going to help you as a church do this. So we, we are actually in the process of creating something called training camps. <laughs> Type training camps in the chat section. Training camps are going to be weekend events that are going to be centered around helping you cultivate one of these practices. What do we mean by that? So we're going to have a training camp based on Sabbath. How do you, walk, how do you process Sabbath? We're going to have a training camp based on scripture and prayer. We're going to have a training camp based on generosity. We're going to have a training camp based on fasting. We're going to have a training camp based on prayer and scripture. As Because we just don't want to tell you do these things. We want to create environments and places for you to come in here, learn, and practice. And then take what you learn and put it into your normal, everyday life and rhythm. Why? So we can become a certain kind of person. We're actually working on these right now. And if you want more information about these, we're actually going to be putting on a couple of these in the fall. If you want more information about these, we're going to keep them. Uh, we're going to keep the registration low to about 12 people each training camp. And so, if you want more information about these, you can text train to 757-690-2401 T R A I A N, and that will just be a way to let us know that you are interested. And when signups go live, you will be notified first about these training camps and our first dibs to sign up. Because I just don't want to tell you do do these things. I want to say, hey, these are good, these are the important things in cultivating a rhythm with. God for you. So you can have awareness. You can have a desire for his boundaries and, and be in communion with him. But also too, I want to let you know that we are as a church creating ways to put tools in your hands for these things to become a reality in your life. Jesus and rhythm, y'all. Jesus did not do what Jesus did because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he cultivated a rhythm of life to help him become more of who his father wanted him to be. This is my heart for our church, y'all. My heart is not to just have us active. My heart is just to not have us doing church activity, but is to have us doing habits and practices that will cultivate in your life individually the presence of God, the awareness of God, and a desire for His 
boundaries. I love you, church. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm so excited about the fact that our vision is narrowing down, that we exist to help you become a certain kind of person, to live the uncommon life that Jesus has for you. I'm excited to share more about that as, as this vision gets more locked in. And I pray today you've heard my heart. I pray today you've heard the power of rhythms, that what Jesus invites us into, that, that, the, that these rhythms and habits and practices become ways for us to obtain the divine life that Jesus lived and that God has for us. I love you. I want to pray real quick. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to us. 757-690-2401, john at lifehousenn.com. We would love to serve you in any way. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your presence that was on this service. And God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you take what I said and you would translate it to be what people need. I pray that they would hear how loved they are. I pray that they would hear what you invite them to. I pray that they would not hear burden. But I pray, God, that there would just be a hunger that would stir in the hearts of those that call Lifehouse home for habits and practices that shape and form us because we want to be more like you. Let that be our deepest desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.